We're going to dive into James chapter 4 together. Uh, we have been doing a great study uh, through the book of James, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we find ourselves in James chapter 5 today. Uh, we began James chapter 5 last week, and today we'll be in James 5, starting in verse 7. There's an old Hebrew story about Father Abraham. You won't find this in the book of Genesis. It's just an old legend, an old story uh, that's popular in Jewish circles about Father Abraham. And it goes like this. Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man, weary from his age and his long journey, coming toward him. Abraham rushed out. He greeted him and invited him into his tent. Abraham washed the old man's feet and gave him food and something to drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, Don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, No, I only worship fire. I don't pay attention to any other God. When he heard this, Abraham grabbed him by the shoulders, furious, and tossed him out the front flap of his tent, threw him out into the cold night air. After the old man staggered off into the darkness, God called to his friend Abraham and asked where the stranger was. Abraham replied, I kicked him out, God, because he didn't worship you. God calmly responded, Abraham, this man has rejected me and dishonored me his entire life. For 80 long years I have patiently put up with him. Couldn't you have endured him for just one night? Isn't that a good question? Abraham, I put up with him for 80 years. Couldn't you endure him for just one night? Great question. We all know that patience is a virtue. And we also know that we need a whole lot more of it. We need to be more patient people, don't we? And so today as we dive into James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, God is going to be teaching us about patience. What we need to know in order to be more patient, enduring Christians. So we're in James 5, starting in verse 7. If you're there with some others in your room, I encourage you to say amen. If you're there in James 5, amen. Amen. James 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. May God bless us as we study His Word together today. Last week we explored the first six verses of chapter 5 where James spoke directly to rich landowners who were hoarding their wealth and ripping off their poor employees. Uh, James made it clear that if they didn't change the way that they handled money, they were going to get what's coming to them. You see, on Judgment Day, as we saw last week, our money will talk. 
Our homes will talk, our vehicles will talk, our clothes will talk, all of those possessions that have been entrusted to us will speak on that day of judgment. They will reveal loud and clear whether we use them selfishly for ourselves or use them selflessly for the good of others and for the glory of God. All of our stuff isn't really our stuff. It's really God's stuff, isn't it? He is the owner. We are just the managers. Therefore, we must use our stuff that's in our possession for the good of others and for the glory of God. I hope that you carried out the two challenges that I gave you to carry out this past week. Number one, remember the challenge was to put God first in your finances. If you want to use that stuff in your possession that's on loan from God in a way that honors and glorifies God, you need to put Him first in your finances. I hope you gave that a shot this last week. Practice tithing. Put Him first in your finances and see how God blesses the remaining 90%. And then the second challenge that I gave you last week was to give away some of your stuff. So I hope you did that as well, that you looked on your bookshelves, maybe pulled off some of those soft-cover Christian books and Bibles that you're not using, and and desired to, to give them to someone else, maybe give them to the prisoners that need good Christian books and Bibles. And maybe you went through your closet like my wife and I did and and pulled out some clothes that would be in better hands if they went to someone who is low income, someone that needs those shirts or needs those pants or needs those shoes. Maybe like others, you went through your garage and pulled out some tools and sports equipment and decided to bless the rescue mission or the Salvation Army with those, getting into the hands of those who need those more than you do. Uh, Whatever it is that God laid on your heart to give, I hope you gave this last week. God has called us to make sure that we use what we have for the good of others, and for the glory of God. Last week, as we looked at those first six verses in chapter 5, we saw that James was specifically addressing the rich landowners in his day. And as we pick up in in verse 7 with today's message, James makes a shift. Here he addresses the poor Christians who have had to suffer under the unfair treatment of those rich landowners. I mentioned to you last Sunday that uh, those first six verses apply to you. You may not think of yourselves as rich, but compared to most people on the planet, you are rich. You have air conditioning, for goodness sake. That's a a, a very rich thing to have on a hot day. Most people on the planet don't have that luxury. So we are wealthy compared to most people, but I also want you to see that as he shifts, starting in verse 7, to talking to the poor people, this passage also applies to you and me. Yes, we are wealthy, by the standards of most on this planet, so the six verses apply to us, but we are also poor in many ways as well, aren't we? We have been mistreated. We have been looked down upon. We have suffered at the hands of those who have more money than us and more influence than us and more power than us. So verses 7 through 12 apply to us as well. Well, James begins verse 7 by summarizing what he wants to tell us in the next five verses. Notice what he says In verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And in case we missed it in verse 7, he says it a little bit differently in verse 8. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Many translations translate verse 8 this way. You too, be patient and establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. Stand firm, because the Lord's coming. Is near. Now, James is not one to beat around the bush, is he? 
He oftentimes will cut to the chase, and he's short and sweet. So he's basically saying in these first couple verses, Hey, Christians, God wants you. God wants you to, to be patient no matter what's coming your way. He wants me to tell you to be patient. And the reason you need to be patient is because he's returning very soon. Whatever you're going through that's trying your patience, uh, whatever you're going through that's difficult to endure, he wants you to remember that it's only temporary. Jesus' return is, is closer than it's ever been, and God will reward you for your patience. Isn't that encouraging? James says, God will reward you for your patience. Remember, his return is very near. Here in these verses, James addresses two different kinds of patience that God is grooming inside us. Two different kinds of patience. The first of those that God is addressing in these verses is patience with people. He addresses this in verses 7 through 10. Patience with people. This oftentimes in the New Testament is called long-suffering. Long-suffering. Patience with people. And then in verse 11, he's going to address a second second kind of patience. It's patience with crummy circumstances. And so, sometimes in the scriptures, this is called endurance. Endurance. So, he addresses these two very important, necessary kinds of patience that you and I need to have as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We need to be patient with people, and we need to be patient with our crummy circumstances. So, let's start with the first of those two, which we find out about in verses 7 through 10. Let's look at this first kind of patience called long-suffering at times, patience with people. How many of you would agree that some people really get on your nerves, right? Some people really get on your nerves. Some people really try your patience. Some people in our lives seem to have a a superhuman ability to get on our last nerve, right? We know that Superman has superhuman strength, and we know that the Flash has superhuman speed, and we know some people who have superhuman irritability. Uh, They have the superhuman ability to get on people's nerves, and you're one of them. Uh, Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a a classmate, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's an ex-spouse or some other family member. And because we're living through such an explosive time in our nation, let's be honest with each other, sometimes our politicians are getting on our last nerve recently. For some of us, President Trump gets on our nerve. Uh, For some of us, Nancy Pelosi gets on our nerves. Uh, For some of us, Gavin Newsom gets on our nerves. Uh, We probably all have at least one politician that drives us up the wall. And so God speaks to us here in James chapter 5, saying, Hey, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, I'm commanding you to be patient with irritating people. Be patient with them. Whether they live in your house or live in the White House, be patient with irritating people. In verses 7 through 10, James shines the spotlight on two very important role models. Uh, The first role model is the farmer. The farmer. Look again at verse 7. James writes, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Now, some of us would never make it as farmers, would we? 
Some of us can never be a farmer because it takes far too much patience. The farmer has to wait for the right time to plant. He has to wait for the right time uh, to, uh, to after he plants, for those little seedlings to sprout. He has to wait for those seedlings that sprout to grow to maturity. And then once they grow to maturity, he has to wait for the right time to harvest. Uh, that's too much waiting for some of us. Uh, some of us get impatient if we have to wait for 30 seconds at a red light. And so we'd never make it as farmers. So James turns to you and he turns to me as impatient Christians and he says this, Look at the farmer. Be more like him. He's very patient with God. He patiently waits for God to, to send the autumn rains and to send the spring rains. He patiently waits for God to carry out all the necessary steps for his little seeds to mature. In the scope of eternity, the farmer understands that the time span between sowing and reaping is very, very short. So he is patient. You too should understand that in the scope of eternity, the time span between the start of your suffering here on earth and the end of your suffering here on earth is relatively short. So you should also be patient. Jesus is coming soon, and mark my words, your patience will pay off. Amen? So we all agree, don't we, that farmers demonstrate a whole lot of patience. But one of the reasons James pointed to farmers as an example of patience is because their patience is active. Their patience is active. It's not idle. Farmers don't sit on their hands while they're waiting for harvest time. They don't sit on their hands, do they? They are always working. They're up before the crack of dawn, routinely working for 10 to 12 hours per day, constantly preparing for the harvest, even if the harvest is months away. Uh, George Matheson was a Scottish pastor and hymn writer who lived in the late 1800s. And he was blind most of his life. He became blind as a youth, and so his entire adult life he was blind. But he had such a love for God, and he had such a a patient way about him. He wrote one time these words. He wrote, We commonly associate patience with lying down. Yet there is a patience that I believe to be harder. The patience that can run. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune, implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a greater strength still. It is the power to work under stress. To have a great weight at your heart and still run. To have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform the daily tasks. It is a Christ-like thing. The hardest thing is that most of us are called to exercise our patience, not in the sickbed, but in the street. Aren't those deep words? We're called to exercise our patience, not in the sickbed, but in the street. What an amazing insight. When your neighbor is trying your patience, what do you do? You don't just sit in your house and and peek through the window every so often to see if he's put a for sale sign in his front yard so he'll move and get out of your hair. You don't just sit and wait for him to sell his house. You patiently continue doing whatever it is God has called you to do. Be kind to Him. Pray for Him. And love your neighbor as yourself. Ladies, when uh, you've been praying for your husband for two long years to accept Christ, and he still hasn't accepted Christ, what do you do? 
You don't throw in the towel. Keep persevering in prayer for Him. Persistent prayer can be hard work, but your hard work will pay off in the end. The harvest is coming. Men, when you've asked your boss for a raise, and he's dragging his feet, and he's taking forever to give you that raise, uh, don't slack off on your work. Don't do less than you were doing before. Continue to work 100%. Give it everything you have. Do it all for the glory of God. There are so many applications to this insight. Yes, it takes strength to sit down and wait patiently for your trials to come to an end. But it takes a greater strength to continue working and persevering when you're waiting for that problem or that trial or that stress to come to an end. It takes great strength to keep working, as he writes, under stress, to have a great weight at your heart and still run, to have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform the daily tasks. So Christians, Jesus calls you and me to live out this greater kind of patience. Don't settle for passive patience like the farmer. Practice active patience. And do you know what? is something really remarkable. The lessons God teaches us while we're patiently working are oftentimes greater than the reward and the end of the suffering that we've been longing for. Isn't that something? Let me say it this way. While you're patiently waiting for your neighbor to change, God is changing you. While you're patiently praying for your spouse to be transformed, God is transforming you. While you're waiting for your boss to realize your true worth, God is working inside of you to call about your true worth. Isn't that just like God? He's more concerned with your character than He is with your comfort. So while you've been patiently praying for God to bring you more comfort in your neighborhood, to bring you more comfort and resolve in your workplace and in your marriage, God has been patiently transforming your character into the image of Jesus Christ. God will answer your prayers eventually. But in the meantime, He will be doing something much greater inside of you. Shaping and refining your character so that you can make a greater impact in this world for Jesus Christ and bring more glory to God. Our Daily Bread devotional says it this way, God wants us to see results as we work for Him, but His first concern is our growth. That's why He often withholds success until we have learned patience. The Lord teaches us this needed lesson through the blessed discipline of delay. Did you catch that? You've wanted God to bring an end to your trial. But He likely will not bring an end to your trial until He's learned, until you have learned what He's trying to teach you in the midst of your trial. And many times, that lesson He's teaching you is patience. So, the next time you get impatient in the midst of a trial, maybe just say, Hey God, teach me patience quickly so we can bring an end to this trial as soon as possible. God disciplines us by delaying His deliverance from our trials. And during that delay, He teaches us the virtue of patience. Now look at verse 9. James writes, Don't grumble against each other. Brothers, don't grumble, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
Uh, We've all had times when someone around us drives us up the wall. And at times we've been tempted to grumble about it, right? I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she said that. She's ruining my life. I can't believe that wife of mine. I can't believe that husband of mine. I can't believe my boss. I can't believe that teacher. I can't believe my brother or sister. We grumble about others to others, don't we? And what does God's Word say? Don't grumble against one another. James could be telling us that we as Christ's followers should not grumble to others about our difficulties. Or he could be telling us that we shouldn't be blaming others for our difficulties. I happen to think he means both. There's no place for grumbling in the life of one of Christ's followers. Grumbling does nothing to fix our problems. It only makes us and everyone around us more miserable, right? Grumbling does no good. In his commentary on James, Warren Wearsby makes the point that farmers rarely grumble with their neighbors. They don't usually grumble with their neighbors or about their neighbors. They understand that it's a waste of their time and energy. After all, if they start using their sickles on each other, uh, they may be so preoccupied arguing with their neighbor that those sickles aren't available to reap the harvest when the harvest is ready to be reaped. And so they're focused on the harvest. They're focused on the end goal. They don't have the time or the energy to waste it grumbling with their neighbors. The same should be said of Christians. We're so focused on Jesus Christ and doing the work of Jesus Christ in the short life that He has given us before He calls us home. We're so focused on the goal that we dare not waste our time grumbling about others or to others. So the first role model that James highlights in this passage is the patient farmer. And in verse 10, James highlights a second role model of the Old Testament prophet. He writes, Brothers, As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Jesus is very honest with us in the New Testament. In John 16.33, he tells us that we are going to have trouble in this world. There's no escaping it. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he lets us know that we as Christians will suffer persecution simply because we follow Christ. We know that Jesus' words are true, don't we? He's not joshing us here. He's not pulling us, pulling our leg. We will have trouble in this world. We will, as Christians, experience suffering. If Jesus had trouble, we as his followers are going to have trouble. If Jesus suffered, then we as his followers are going to suffer. There's really no ifs and ands or buts about it. We know his words are true, but for some reason, for centuries, Christians have had this crazy idea that when we obey Christ's commands, it will always bring us health and wealth and happiness here on earth. And those who disobey Christ's commands will always experience sickness and poverty and unhappiness here on earth. But that's simply not true, is it? It's just not true. Oftentimes, obedience to Christ's commands makes our lives more difficult. Obeying Christ's commands sometimes uh, costs us our health. It may take a toll on our finances. It may spawn persecution in our lives. And meanwhile, there are a lot of God-cursing atheists out there who are living high on the hog. God-cursing atheists out there who are raking it in, they're rolling in the dough, and they seem as happy as they could possibly be. And so it's simply not true that here on earth, if you obey Christ's commands, your life will be nice and cushy and easy. 
And if you disobey God's commands, your life's going to be rotten here on earth. The 17th century theologian Matthew Henry said it really well. He said, The prosperity of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous have in all ages been a very great trial to the faith of the people of God. That's very true. For centuries, this idea that sometimes those who curse God seem to be blessed on earth, and those who bless God seem to be cursed on earth, this has been something that Christians have been wrestling with for centuries because it just doesn't register in our minds sometimes. We know that in the long run, those who reject God and live for themselves here on earth will get what's coming to them. And we know that in the long run, our sacrifice and commitment to Christ will pay off. So James says, look to the Old Testament prophets. They were criticized, they were mistreated, they suffered at the hands of wicked men, but they patiently endured. And look how well it paid off for them. In the same way, be patient with people. Make your life. Let me say it this way. Be patient with the people who make your life more difficult. Oh, on this planet, it seems at times that the blessed are cursed and the cursed are blessed. It seems like sometimes that those who reject God will prosper and those who follow God will flounder. But you just wait, James says. In the long run, you will see that the blessing will come to those who obey the Lord and follow Him. And the punishment is coming. The day of reckoning is coming for those who don't. Well, James tells us in verses 7 and 11 to be patient as God is grooming us from the inside out. Be patient with people, he says, in verses 7 through 11. And then in verse 12, James reminds us to be patient with our crummy circumstances. I switch the verses just a little bit. Verses 7 through 10 actually says be patient with people. Verse 11, he says be patient with your crummy circumstances. James points to Job as a role model of patience amidst crummy circumstances. God dedicated an entire book in the Old Testament to lifting up Job as a model of patient endurance when your circumstances are lousy. Job's life seemed to be going so well. Most of you have heard the story. He was one of the wealthiest nation uh, men in his nation. And all of a sudden, his world came crashing down. One day, all ten of his kids were tragically killed. Uh, all of the livestock that helped make him wealthy was either stolen or destroyed. Uh, there he was, just a few days after that, sitting on a pile of ashes... Uh, picking with broken shards of pottery these oozing sores on his arms because he had broken out on some with some sort of, of odd, painful skin disease. And his life got so bad that his wife came up to him one day and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Oh, we know that Job suffered more than just about anyone else who's ever lived except for Jesus Christ. And through it all, as he was suffering all of this, this loss and all of this pain, he would lift up prayers to God, and it felt like his prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. God seemed like he was silent. God seemed like he was, dif- he was distant. But Job persevered. Job endured, and his endurance paid off in the end, didn't it? It paid off for him, and in the same way, it will pay off for you. It will. Just be patient. Your endurance will pay off. 
Your faithfulness to Jesus Christ will pay off. Your faithful obedience to Him and His Word will pay off. James says, look to Job as an example of patient endurance amidst crummy circumstances. Your circumstances may be lousy, but they're not as lousy as Job's were. By God's grace, Job patiently endured, and by God's grace, so can you. Amen? So can you. One last verse, verse 12. James says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear... Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. At first glance, this verse seems to be kind of a out of left field, kind of an oddball verse. It has nothing to do with the verses we just looked at or, or the verses we'll look at next week. It, it seems to just be dropping in out of heaven and have no rhyme or reason to where it falls here in James 5. But if you really think about it, it does tie in nicely. Do you remember when you were a kid, when you had maybe your best friend say, hey, I promise to be there next week? Do you remember what you'd oftentimes say to him? You really promise? Yeah, I promise. Do you, do you pinky promise? Do you pinky swear? Yeah, I, I pinky swear. Do you cross your heart and hope to die? Yeah, cross my heart and hope to die. No, not just that. Cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. You know, we didn't believe our friends, did we, when they promised to do something? Uh, they didn't have any credibility with us, evidently, because we made them add to their promise and then swear by this and that and the other before we would actually believe they were going to do what they said they were going to do. James is saying, don't mess with all of that. Don't mess with all of that. A man's word should be his bond. A woman's word should be her bond. When you speak as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, those around you should know that you say what you mean, and you mean what you say. Our word should be almost like gospel. Our word should be golden. Well, unfortunately, many Christians are not known for their honesty. And so James tells us, if you're going to grow in your faith and impact your world for Jesus Christ, it's not enough to be patient with the annoying people around you. And it's not enough to patiently endure your crummy circumstances. You must patiently endure with integrity. And at the heart of integrity always is honesty. You must be honest. Those around you must know that you're honest. If you desire to bless those around you and bring glory to God, your words must be trustworthy. You say what you mean. You mean what you say. Your yes means yes, and your no means no. Well, this week I want to suggest that God is putting each of us into a patience training boot camp. God wants to put each of us into a a patience boot camp. There are two parts of this boot camp that I want you to live out this week, that I want you to participate in this week. Two lessons for today. Training exercise number one. Read Hebrews 11 and 12. I want you to read sometime today. It's Lord's Day. It doesn't just end at the end of this 45-minute to one-hour broadcast. You know, It doesn't just end after the service. This whole day today, all 24 hours of it, is the Lord's Day. So do something after this service. Open your Bible to Hebrews 11 and 12 and spend some time reading it, rereading it, meditating on it, thinking about it. Because Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, it will spotlight some of the great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. 
and how each of them persevered. I want you to expose yourself to some of these great, persevering, patient heroes of the Old Testament. I want you to expose yourself to them. And as you go into chapter 12, you'll find some marvelous verses. Like early in chapter 12, how it says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything entangled that entangles us, including the sin that entangles us, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And we could just as easily say, let's run with patience the race marked out for us. I want you to see in chapter 12 how in verses 14 and 15, it talks about how we are to live at peace with all men, those that live under our roof and those that don't. And God doesn't want us to harbor bitterness, but to forgive and live at peace with others and to be patient with others. I want you to spend some time in Hebrews 11 and 12 because many of us are surrounded by impatient people and we are impatient because we're surrounded by impatient people. I need us to bathe our brains and our hearts with the patience of some of God's greatest servants. Spend some time in Hebrews 11 and 12. Think about these godly role models of faith and patience and follow their example. And then secondly, training exercise number two. Instead of grumbling about those who have caused you grief and trouble, patiently work for their good because the Lord is coming soon. James tells us don't grumble about others. Pray for them. Patiently pray for them. And patiently, just like the, the, the farmer, keep working for their good. Oh, God doesn't call us to be idle in our patience. He causes us to work. He calls us to work uh, patiently for the good of those around us and for the glory of God. And so these are two parts of your boot camp this week. Spend some time in Hebrews 11 and 12. And take some time to work and pray for the good of those who cause you grief. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for this challenging word today. Lord, we struggle with patience. Lord, I don't know how many times I've been reminded that in that great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as you begin to describe love, you say, love is patient. And so often I found myself thinking, I can't even get past the first description of love, let alone moving on to love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Lord, sometimes I can't even get past the, the patience part of love. Help me to be patient, Lord, with my family members, with my wife, with my kids. Help me to be patient, O oh God, with my parents, with my siblings. Help me to be patient with my neighbors, patient with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us all, Lord, to be patient with our co-workers and, and patient with our fellow classmates and patient with those in line in front of us at Target or Walmart or wherever we may be this week. Lord, help us to be patient with people and help us, Lord, to be at work for their good as we are learning patience. Lord, as we go through these trials, I pray that we would learn everything you want us to learn as you're shaping our character from the inside out. And help us not to miss this important reality that sometimes what you're doing inside of me during my trial is more important than you bringing it into my trial. Help us, Lord, to allow you to do what you want to do inside of us. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us to endure 
the most difficult circumstances that we face. Yes, there will be trouble in our lives. Yes, there will be circumstances that stink that we have to endure. Lord, teach us to endure them patiently and learn what you want to teach us for the good of others and for the glory of God. Lord, help us not to destroy our witness to non-Christians by being impatient people. Help them to look to us and see that we have a patience with others that they don't have and an ability to endure difficult circumstances that they don't have. And in turn, Lord, may they be hungry for you because, Lord, they desire to have what we have. Do your work in us. Teach us to be patient for the good of others and the glory of God. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you've hung on to this message. It's not the easiest one to absorb because, frankly, we all deal with impatience. And there have been times probably that you, like me, have said, you know what, I don't know if I'll ever be a patient person. But if you partner with God, He can work inside of you to make you more patient with people and with crummy circumstances than you ever thought possible. Hand your life over to Him. Hand your impatience over to Him and see what He can do in your life this week. Surround yourself with these heroes of patient faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And practice serving and praying for those that drive you up the wall. If you're listening to this broadcast today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that right now. It's not difficult to accept Christ. It's challenging following Him, but it's not difficult. It's not complicated to become a follower of Christ. He asks you to accept the fact that you are a sinner. Admit that you are a sinner. And you can't make it to heaven on your own. You can't be forgiven on your own. You can't be who God created you to be on your own. You need His help. Admit it. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and choose to follow Him from this point forward. Choose to invite Him into your life. Put Him on the driver's seat of your life and follow Him from this point forward. And I encourage you right now, if you've made that decision, reach out to one of our prayer counselors. They'd like to pray with you. Their names and phone numbers are at the bottom of the screen. Reach out to one of them by phone or text and they would love to pray with you and tell you more about how you can begin following Jesus Christ and talk to you about how you can set up a time to be baptized, proving to the whole world that you are serious about following Jesus Christ and serious about Him being in the driver's seat of your life. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a a member of Impact Christian Church to take communion with us. I encourage you to have your bread and juice handy if you as a follower of Christ would like to take it with us right now. Jesus gave us the bread symbolizing his body that was broken to us, broken for us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way Jesus took the juice or the wine, he said it represents his blood that's poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, when you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And as we go into this final song of our service today, as these words to these to this beautiful song, as these words are lifted up, I encourage you to take a few moments in prayer. Ask God to forgive you for something in your life that you know needs to be forgiven. Ask Him to take a hold of your mouth and take a hold of your mind and your heart and transform you. Ask Him to teach you more patience 
Let's spend some time in prayer as we close this service with one final song. You spend some time with the Lord. Get right with Him and ask Him to change you this week for the good of others and for the glory of God. God bless you.